0: Hello and welcome to The Northern Connection, a monthly podcast where five northern-based book lovers come together to share their love of reading and books. My name's Emma and this month I'm taking a turn in the hosting seat to chat about women in translation with Jules, Rebecca, Rachel and Siobhan. Now, if you currently don't read much translated works by women, don't worry, because by the end of this episode, you'll have at least a few recommendations to take away. Less than 31% of books translated into English are books written by women. So August is Women in Translation Month, a global initiative which was started back in 2014 to celebrate books by women authors their translators and publishers, with the aim of increasing awareness and inspiring dialogue about these books. So, coming up in this episode, we have an interview with two literary translators, Charlotte Whittle and Nicola Smalley. Nicola is also a publicist at And Other Stories. First up though, we are going to have a quick catch-up on what we've all been reading. Okay, so Siobhan, it's fair to say that out of all of us, you read the most translated fiction. Um, what is it that appeals to you about translated fiction? Um you know, I really don't know the answer to that question. Um <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think I um I started um by reading a lot of translated crime fiction, um, and in particular Joe Esbo, um, who is a huge favourite man. I know he's not a woman. I know he's a man. Um, but <laughs> I think started reading kind of like translated crime fiction, and then I think um, thanks to social media, really, thanks to you know Twitter and um, and Instagram, and and great kind of publishers like um, Fix Carlton Editions, Charco, Influx. Um, I've developed a bit more of a a taste for kind of not just kind of your Nordic, your Swedish, your Icelandic uh, translated fiction, just from kind of further
0: afield. Right, okay. And I know you've been fabulous on Twitter, I've picked up loads of recommendations from you. Um, Has your reading changed any? this month given that you already read lots of translated fiction well I think well for this podcast I've been a little bit of a geek because I keep a
1: um every year I keep a journal of everything that I read and I write some notes in it and um just general kind of like musings of how I felt the book was you know what I liked about it what I didn't like about it um so last year at the end of last year 30 percent of the books that I read were translated and And this year, I've just, um, I've just kind of like potted up and done some very dodgy maths, and I think, <laughs> we're at, um, I think we're, at, we're at twenty nine percent, um, this year, for so translated
0: con- fiction, fairly consistent.
1: <laughs> yeah, fairly consistent. Yeah, um, but I think what's different this year is I've read a lot more from, um, Latin America. I think that's, yeah. been my real, um. I don't know why. I don't know whether it's just the pace of the, the pace of the translation, the pace of the, of the, of the story. Um, I, ju- I just, I just really, I just can't get enough of it at the moment. And I've, I've spent a fortune recently, thank the people
0: on Twitter who have given me a load of recommendations. Fantastic. And um, would you have a, a standout book to recommend to anybody who does want to widen the um, their remit in terms of women's translated fiction um my favorite book from
1: um last year well I've got two favorite books from last year one was um tender is the flesh which was an Ar- by an Argentinian um author which was absolutely fantastic um, Very, very different. It talked about um, the meat industry collapsing and us having to breed humans in order to feed our meat consumption, which is really interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A little bit dark. um, And then um, the other one would be um, hurricane season. But I will have to say that hurricane season will not be for everybody. Um, So please, if anybody listening to this podcast wants to come and ask me questions about it, because it is... A really, really harrowing, difficult read. However, it is quite possibly one of the best books that I've ever read in my life. It is fantastic. And um, each chapter is like a mini novella. And Fernanda Melka, how how on earth she's packed so much into that book? It, it, it the mind boggles. Her kind, her writing is just sublime. Um, so you um, you're
2: making me think about that. I've just had a of a book clear out and i was supposed to read hurricane season for um heidi james's book club a few oh, months back and i never got time to read it and when i've just been having this book clear out now it's gone on the pile to get rid of because i thought right am i gonna read it um and so now i might have to dig it back out <laughs>
1: give it go. it's really it's really really good it is really good um but yeah this loads the tove um the tove Dillardson um copenhagen trilogies is really good about um, about her life it's kind of semi-autobiographical um working class Danish Tove as she kind of grows up and about her life experiences and they're really really short and um, really accessible but um and I'm currently reading um cockfight um by Maria Fernanda Amporo which is short stories Um, translated from um, Spanish and again very very dark um, but incredibly um, what's the word Um, macabre yeah yeah (laughs) and and kind of like I'm obsessively reading it I kind of like I feel like I'm 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 reading it in every opportunity and I've had a bit of a slump in August but yeah highly recommend Cockfight um, which is published by Influx.
0: Fantastic thank you uh, J- Jules, you, do you read much um, translated fiction by women? I have to say, I don't read a lot of
2: translated fiction at all. I do read some, but I, it, it's not kind of something that I go to.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so, have you I've read, read more?
0: Quite... Of a, I was going to say, have you made more of an effort than this month to try and read a little bit more?
2: Yeah, definitely. And I do, um, I have to say, Japanese is probably a lot of translated stuff that mm. I read. Yeah. Um. And I think what I like about Japanese, um, translated fiction is like Japanese literature is quite weird, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Very. And it kind of.
2: um, And then it so it stays with you, I think, because it's so different. (laughs) So one of one of the ones that I've chosen to um, mention today is um, the Memory Place by Yoko Ogawa okay I how you say it so it was published in 2019 and um I got a proof for this one and it's probably one that you know with a lot of proofs I think sometimes it's a book that you might not have picked up yeah. and then you're glad that you got sent it because it's just quite good so it's like I said a bit strange it's basically about um, this group of people called the memory police and it doesn't actually go into who these people are um, but all these people live on an island and the memory police make decisions about things that they're going to take away from us so they take away hats and the take away roses and the take just all bizarre random things and there's no kind of logic to why these things disappear and over time, because we no longer see these things, we forget about them. Yeah. Um, But there are some people, for some unknown reason, never forget about these things that have been taken away. They can't forget about them. So the memory police then take those people away because they are the only ones who can remember these things. Um, And there's this kind of, there's this protagonist, she's not got a name, she's just called R she's writing a book and her editor of her book is one of these people who can remember things that have been taken away and because she don't want to lose him she hides him so that the memory police can't come and take him away and he tries to get her to remember these things that he remembers and that were taken away and she no longer remembers but it never comes back to her because she's her memory's gone, and she do not remember these things. And then over time, they start to take away things like calendars, so nobody knows what month it is, or seasons, or and all that gets forgotten. And it's kind of, it is, it sounds really bizarre, doesn't it? But it's that I think the thing behind it is if we can't remember things, did they ever exist? And that's yeah. the whole thing behind it and it's i just think i think it's brilliant i Aww, have it
3: on my bookshelf and i can see it from where i'm sat so maybe that's another one to add for this month for yeah too. i think i i have heard of that one actually i seem to remember somebody telling me
4: about it it's been out a while hasn't it yeah 2019 it was published yeah, yeah.
2: And I just thought when when we knew we were going to be doing this, I thought I have to talk about that because even though I've read it like two years ago, it's still just one of them books that sticks in my mind for
1: it was probably for the, its
2: bizarreness.
1: It was on the international booker, wasn't it? Was it on the international uh, list? I'm sure it. I'm sure it was. Uh, yeah. The long list or the short list. And then a very different one
2: that I've read recently is. Um, elena knows by claudia Pinheiro. i've seen a lot for, about
0: that so yeah. you'll have
2: to forgive my yorkshire pronunciation <laughs> um, and it's uh, oh i forgot to say the memory police was translated by stephen snyder because i think it's important we say who's, yeah. uh, who translated them um so yeah so elena oh. knows claudia piñero sent to me by charco um, translated by Francis Riddle, and Claudia Pinheiro is um, from Buenos Aires. Now, you know, when you you want to talk about a book, but you feel, I think I mentioned this last week when we met up, it's kind of almost like you don't feel you can recommend it in a way because it's just so utterly sad. Mm. However, it's just beautiful in a way and the way it's written and the way it's been translated um and it's um it takes place over one day and it is all about elena who is it do not tell you ages but i'm gonna guess that elena's probably in her 60s and a daughter has died so i would imagine and that's not a spoiler that's right at the beginning um and rita a daughter i'm gonna guess is probably a similar age to me and it would appear that Rita's committed suicide, and Elena can't come to terms with that. She, her daughter never would have done that. She never would have took her own life. Somebody must have murdered her. And Elena goes on this journey over one day to try and find out what happened to her daughter. And and towards the end, we do find a little bit out about what's gone on and the reasons. And the, and and again, those reasons are really sad. Mm. Um, so it is. Even when I was trying to write my review on it, it is difficult because, like I say, it's just extremely sad. But it's like it's, it's life, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. So yeah. yeah. So and then another thing that that's just come to my mind <laughs> as well when I was thinking about Japanese fiction. It's not Japanese. It's by Han Kang, and she's South Korean. Uh, the Vegetarian. Another okay. really, really, really bizarre book. I'm not going to go into what it's about because it's just really strange, but I loved it.
0: Yeah, yeah fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Pl- plenty more recommendations there. Yes. Thanks, Jules. Um, what about you, Rachel? Um, do you tend to read a lot of um, translated fiction by women? Mm, I don't tend to read a lot of translated fiction at all. and that's I, There's no
4: particular reason for that. I just haven't really stumbled across it. But then actually when I looked at my shelves... I have got a fair bit that I probably hadn't even realised it was translated. I'd just sort of read it, yeah. uh, which makes me feel pretty bad, really, because actually translators, I think, are, are wizards. They seem to yep. have this amazing skill to, to bring a story to life in a different language. And, and that is so complex. So actually, I went back through my shelves. So this month, um, I read the Notes from Childhood that we, um, by Nora Lang, which was translated by Charlotte Whistle. So we've already spoke a lot about that, so I won't go talking more. anymore. But actually, when I went through my shelves, I've got a Dawn book subscription, which I got for Christmas. And um, there was this one book that I'd forgotten completely about. It would come and I hadn't had a chance to read it. But it's non-fiction, translated mm-hmm. from the French. And it's a lady called Francois Frenkel. Um, And she is she was a Jewish, a Polish Jew who set up a French bookshop in Berlin in 1921 um, with her husband. And then obviously going through the 20s and 30s, Polish Jews in Germany, not a happy place to be, really. Um, And so this is the story of her persecution out of Berlin and across Europe through um, the the time of the Second World War, Um, it was found that her transcript was found, I believe, abandoned, and it's been translated recently by, I think it's a lady called Stephanie Smee. Let me just check. bear with me. Yeah, um, translated from the French by Stephanie Smee. And it was released by Pushkin Press. Um, So that's what I'm on with at the moment. I'm about halfway through, and it's absolutely fascinating for all the reasons that you would expect it to be. It sounds amazing. uh, Also because you've obviously, you know, trying to convey from the French to the English, all of those really complex displacement emotions that you're feeling. So that's, that's one of them. The other one is a slight cheat, if I'm honest, um, because it's not a translation, but it's written by a translator. (laughs) And having read this now. I'm definitely going to go off and look at her translations. Mm -hmm. And it's a book that I read literally the end of last week called, it's a novella called an approach to black by um, emily jeremiah um and she's a finnish translator um and she translates with her mum they co-translate which i think i think anyone who can translate alongside their mum little medal i love my mum but i'm not sure i can translate with her And um, they've translated five novels, apparently, one of which was White Hunger, which was um, long listed for the Man Booker International in 2016. Um, So, yeah, so definitely going to look up Emily. Um, So, yeah, I'm really on here today to get more recommendations and to say which way my reading should go in terms of um, I think I've probably read a lot more than I know I've read,
0: actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just wanted I to pick
2: is. up on what you were saying about translators as well, because I think a lot of time when we talk about translated fiction, it does get raised time and again that the actual translators mm. get forgotten. Yeah. Um, mm. And um, I can, can genuinely say I've not read a single piece of translated fiction where I felt that something's got lost in translation. hmm. Mm. Uh, And I want to actually, while we're talking, give a shout out to a translator called Charlotte Collins, who translated um, The Tobacconist by Robert Seathala, which is one of my absolute favourite books of all time. Again, I I know it's a man.
4: I think I nearly picked one of hers up last night, because I think, and I can't see from here, but I think she translated The Field by him. Yes, I think she did them all, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. and I I loved that book. Um, And... Have you do you, do you know about the field? So the field I have is, read it.
2: I didn't yeah. like it as much as his other books. I have to because say,
4: I haven't read any of his others. I've only read that one. But the field I just found was absolutely fascinating. This idea of the graveyard where there's mm. each inhabitant that has a story, and um, and I thought that was beautifully translated. I think I reviewed that this year. So yeah, no, I would absolutely agree with that, Jules. And I yeah, think that's so translated trans- trans- from the
1: translators. <laughs> <Absolutely. laughs> And then on that note, I neglected to say any of the translators for any of the books <laughs> that, I, uh, that I mentioned. Um, so, all that, um, the uh, translator for Hurricane season is, and I should know this, I should know this off the top of my head, it was translated by Sophie Hughes, oh, by, is translated by uh, Francis Riddle. Ah, um, who- that's so good, yeah, Elaine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I do on all of my um, Instagram posts. Even when I'm on um, on Twitter, I always put the translator because uh, I think yeah. it's really important. And mm-hmm. Sarah Moss, um, Sarah, sorry, Sarah Moses translated "Tender Is the Flesh" um, by, August, by Augustina Bazterrica. I have to say that is
2: that is a book that I've been wanting. Because when I sat, when it first came out and everybody were raving about how bizarre and, you know, mm. even the cover and everything's a bit... Uh, but, yeah, it's one of them that I do want to read, but I'm sure I can slot it in somewhere.
1: It is a because you want to know what's going to happen. It's, it mm. is, yeah, it is really fascinating. I suppose it, it really brings up some of those questions around the meat industry around um you know how and and where our meat is farmed and what and what we would do in a situation like that because I just kept saying to I just kept saying to Dan it's like would you would you would, would you eat human meat if you have to and it's like I'm not having a <laughs> conversation with you I'm like would you would you go into like a, like Tesco and buy you know half a pound of leg um, well it's like that um <laughs> that film into what's that
2: film with a plane crash—I can't remember what it's called now. With the um, alive, alive yeah. yeah. I mean, in that situation, you haven't really got any choice, have you, no. if you want to survive? So, I'd be off. the
3: first to go in all of these situations, being <laughs> a vegetarian. <laughs> so much, we'd, eat, we'd eat you first. Yeah. <laughs>
4: I think there is often a darker edge to translated fiction, isn't there? Yeah. There really does seem to be a much sort of darker, more macabre, less inhibited feeling yeah, to translated mm. fiction. You know, maybe yeah. it's the British sensibility of things we can't write about, but they don't really seem to have there don't seem
1: to be those barriers in translated mm. fiction. No, definitely not. I mean if anybody's read Earthlings, um by oh gosh the author escapes me um she wrote convenience store woman oh yes um i can't I'm, i my apologies i can't remember the author therefore i won't remember the translator but um earthlings is i read that last year and it, it, it's 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 just crackers <laughs> it's crackers, it's, it's, it's crackers. I just can't anybody who's read it will know it's, it is just
4: crackers. I've just googled um,
1: it it's Sayaka Murata
2: again forgive my um pronunciation
4: I'm impressed because I actually I've been like I don't want to even try
0: <laughs> oh fantastic and what, Rebecca what have
3: you been reading this month so, I've just finished reading The Mad Woman's Ball by Victoria Mass, translated from the French by Frank Wynne. And it's set in a women's asylum in Paris in 1885. And once a year, there's a grand costume ball held at the hospital where Paris's elite and the women all socialise together. And just before the ball in this particular year, a new patient is admitted by her father. Eugenie is 19 and the family is a bourgeois family, so they're they're very well off. And she doesn't understand why she's been sent to this asylum. And like all of the women in the asylum, she's under the care of Genevieve, who's a senior nurse and has placed her faith in science and medicine after the death of her sister in childhood. So she won't go into a church and hasn't got time for religion as a result of her sister's death. However, she begins to question all she knows after Eugenie arrives at the asylum and their fates collide on the night of the Mad woman's Ball. It's brilliant. It's it's, in, it's an incredible read. It's it's dark in places. Um and also quite sad but it's filled with extremely strong women who are obviously in the asylum and they should they don't belong there you wouldn't you wouldn't be locked away from society for the reasons that a lot of them are locked away in society um today but it's 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 a captivating book with lots of gothic elements um and i highly recommend it actually
0: it sounds I've,
3: wonderful.
2: I've I've read that too, uh, Rebecca, and I really enjoyed it. It's kind of like that thing of um, kind of doing doing the right thing despite the consequences. I would say. Yeah. A little, yeah. Little intriguing thought for you there. Yeah, you <laughs> it's quite a,
3: an unexpected twist, isn't there in it? And Which it's are... uh, it's only short, isn't it? It is. It is very short. Yeah, it's about two hundred pages, I think. Um, and the 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 women, I think that they that the were well, the patients are just made up stories, but she does refer to real doctors. So, Doctor Charco is is a was a real doctor in Paris that worked at this hospital, and he mm-hmm. he, he existed, and the um the way he treated his patients was real. So there are references to real people. But yeah. I think the actual this actual storyline is is fiction.
0: I think um, he was he was mentioned in was it saving Lucia that Anna uh, brought yeah, out by Clue Yeah. Right.
3: Okay.
4: Yeah. I, I have to say I'm definitely gonna pick this one up because I'm pretty grimly fascinated by the whole incarcerating women in asylums yeah. because yeah. basically they don't conform to what you think is is the societal norm and that's yes. a very similar theme to the to the one that ran through approach to black by um the the, the novela, novella novella give, Ther- um, give a shout
2: out to uh goldsborough goldsborough books because they do uh, a very nice hardback edition of uh the uh mad women's ball if you fancied yeah so, yeah
3: it's yeah, published the by the double day and it is out now actually um and the book that i'm hoping to read next for women in translation month is a single rose which is by muriel barbary translated from the french by alison anderson it's coming out in september by gallic books um again it's it's quite a short book um i'll just read the back of it so it's a mesmerizing story of second chances of beauty born out of grief and roses grown from ashes Mm. Um, intriguing yeah and it's a a nice little cover as well so
0: i've seen your picture of it on twitter it looks absolutely beautiful
3: yeah so isabel at gallic books sent me a proof copy of that and the little package that it came in with um a rose tea and a bookmark it yeah it is beautiful um so i'm looking forward to reading that next
2: and i think gallic do publish some good unusual books as well don't they so yeah i'm sure that'll be good
3: loads of translated fiction at
0: Gallic books actually um so yeah i think it will be good thank you rebecca for those recommendations and to end this section i'm just going to uh, chat a little bit about the books that i've been reading this month um i have enjoyed the um women in translation prompt or challenge if you like and i've used it to just to explore um, books from different cultures and countries um, and add those onto my reading pile. So, like Rachel, um, I enjoyed Nora Lang's Notes on Childhood, and we're going to be talking about that shortly. Um, But my standout read so far has been Adele by Leila Slimani, which is translated from French by uh, Sam Taylor, and it's published by Faber and Faber. Uh, I am a little bit late to the party with Adele because I know so many other people have um, read it and loved it, and I think most of you have read it.
4: I've read Lullaby, and I read that at the beginning of this month. Yeah, um, and so I'm really late to the party because I think everyone's read Lullaby,
0: but I haven't read Adele. Oh well, I haven't read Lullaby, but I have to say <laughs> that I just, I just want to read everything now by um, Layla Slimani, um, and. It, there's one called the nanny as well is that right am i wrong no it's, so it's l- lullaby, the lullaby is about is, mm.
1: is, is the nanny i think it's yeah. it's translated into the i think it's in the american title is the nanny or the or the yeah. original french title i think i think they've changed it to lullaby um
0: that so, makes sense i think um, i mistakenly bought the american version of it um so i have that to read as well which is fantastic mm. Um, and then one I picked up last night, which is fun, which I'm uh, absolutely loving it, it's called Love in Five Acts, and it's from German um, by an author called Daniela Crean. I hope I'm saying that correctly, um, and I'll just get the translator. I picked it up um, as a recommendation in the Irish Independent. They posted something on Twitter with some um, recommendations for Women in Translation Month, so um, I just zoned in on that um and it's um it's about five different women and they're little little they're almost like short stories about their particular love stories but they connect you know so there's a thread running through yeah. them and I think like what you were saying um about translated mm-hmm. fiction it's a lot less inhibited than I think what what we're used to um the women are in these in this book they're very sexually free I think it's all about women in their 40s and 50s and they're just having the best time (laughs) (laughs) or or not but it's fascinating that I don't know if I mentioned it's translated by uh, Jamie Bullock from German so that's one I'm going to be cracking on with later
2: I have um, read Adele and uh, loved it and I have to admit that um, what I did love about it is like it's a bit downright dirty not it. It is. Yeah, like exactly. a bit <laughs> but it's, um like sophisticated dirt if you get what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: I, I really liked
2: it for that. Yeah. It's and fascinating. I think she's got and, her... and I
0: love it when um when an author can give us a really, really unusual woman protagonist who just lives outside of what society expects of her. Mm. Um, you know, to the to the point you're thinking, what what's she doing? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> why is she behaving like that? And I think really good writers can pull you through it, even if you don't like mm. the character or you, you don't understand them, but you, you absolutely you're fascinated by their motivations mm. and and what they're doing. And I think that's a really good mark of a, a good writer. Mm. And I think she's got. A, has she just had a new book published? Or yeah, just come yeah. out? Yeah. yeah, I might
2: have to uh, get that.
0: I'm yeah that's on my pile as well (laughs) so my pile's just got massive again well it's already massive
1: yeah it's like
4: just got sharp again
1: yeah I'm sure I can send you my copy of Adele if you want I'll pop it in the post for you
4: oh are you sure you don't mind that'd be lovely thank you that's what's great about this group isn't it (laughs) just like
1: book sharing
0: (laughs) fantastic We've been talking about how important it is to recognise translators during the month of August. And so we're delighted to be able to bring you an interview with two literary translators, Nicholas Smalley and Charlotte Whittle. Nicholas Smalley is a translator and lover of Swedish and Norwegian literature. Her translations have been recognised by various prizes, including the 2021 Oxford Vandenfeld Translation Prize. She's also a publicist at And Other Stories. Charlotte Whittle's translations have appeared in a wide range of publications and her translations of books have been shortlisted for various translation awards. She is an editor at Cardboard House Press and teaches literary translation at Brooklyn College.
3: We're delighted to welcome both of you to the Northern Connection podcast. Nikki, can we start off by asking you to tell us a little bit more about And Other Stories and how long you've worked there for?
5: Um, Hi it's really a pleasure to be here, thank you for having us. Um, So I've been working at And Other Stories since about 2015 Um, and And Other Stories is a small independent publisher based in Sheffield um, which publishes uh, literature from around the world, lots of translations and English language books as well Um, and yeah we have a subscription service which um everybody should sign up for (laughs) (laughs) and um yeah we we make great books basically can I
1: ask Nikki um how do you balance kind of the time between being a publicist and kind of like the translation that you do
5: Mm. so um I so I have like days when I do each thing so I'm i work at and other stories monday to wednesday and i translate on fridays and on thursdays i'm with my little boy um which is quite a nice balance like it's really nice to have those two very different things because when i'm being a publicist i basically spend my whole day writing emails and trying to kind of get you know having meetings as well and getting like talking about books being excited about books um and trying to get other people excited about books Uh, Mm. but when I'm a translator I just get to work with the words you know I just get to play with turning the words on that I see on the page in the original language into uh, into my own English words and it's a really fun thing I mean I'm not going to say it's not difficult to juggle the two because my job you know I could do my job for like twenty four hours a day like 15 days a week you know like there's mm. so much like being a publicist, you've never finished your job there's always more you could do mm. Um, mm. but it's lovely to just have that opportunity to kind of pour myself into into a text um, in a way that i don't I don't get to do that as a publicist
3: yeah can I ask um did you grow up in a bilingual household or is is that where you love of Swedish and Norwegian no,
5: not at all, actually. I mean, I I guess, like, my family... Uh, like, my dad had, like, lived in France for a bit when he was 18, mm-hmm. um, and he spoke a bit of French, but they're both from London. Um, I grew up in Portsmouth on the south coast, um, and I didn't speak... You know, I mean, I did, like, GCSE in German, but yeah. when I left school, like, I couldn't have said a sentence to you. You know, like, it was just like average average school languages you know like <laughs> i eat nothing um and then when i was in my early 20s i moved to berlin uh just because i was like sick of uh what i had been doing and i moved to berlin and i was like okay now i actually have to learn a language um and it was really wonderful and i learned i learned german um like just because I was speak, you know, having to speak it every day to like get by, mm-hmm. and then I moved back to the UK uh, after a year and decided to like study languages. So I did. I studied Swedish and German at university at, at UCL, um, which is like one of the only, at that point was like one of the only two places where you could study Swedish at university. Right. Um, and then, yeah, became, uh, I don't know, I, I, I had, yeah, my love of Swedish basically came from friends. Uh, I had some some Swedish friends and I just thought they were wonderful. I loved the way they spoke and I wanted to speak like that. So,
1: <laughs> I love yeah, that.
5: <laughs> yeah, it was, it was always just like, it was such a joy, you know, like it was really, it was just like enthusiasm for the language. <laughs> Um, and it's been, you know, everybody always says, why Swedish? Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's a weird language for an English speaker to learn since so many Swedish pe- people speak great English. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it's it been a really great thing because so few people learn Swedish. You know, if you speak Swedish and you can translate from Swedish, you're in demand yeah. in a way that, like, if I would learned French to the level that I have learnt Swedish yeah you know and become a French translator then I wouldn't have been able I probably wouldn't have been able to carve out like the place that I have for myself with Swedish
1: yeah and Charlotte so we've got some questions for you Charlotte who um is joining us very excitingly from New York um and I was going to ask you what the weather's like but I'm not going to ask you that Charlotte because we've had a little bit of a preamble um, no. <laughs> preamble before, hadn't we? um but and other stories that recently published uh Nora Lang's Notes from Childhood um so could you just kind of tell us a little bit more about Nora and and kind of like how you came about to to um work on both because I know that you've you've also translated uh People in the Room as well um
6: can you tell yeah. us a bit Absolutely. Um, and thank you. Thank you for the invitation, first of all, and for your interest in Nora Lang. Um, I, uh, I began reading her work about 10 years ago when I was in a, a graduate program studying Latin American literature. And I mean, I think as you know, it was, uh, typically for that time, and probably, probably still, um, you know, the, ca- the canon, or what, what was considered to be the canon that you had to read a, as a graduate student was mostly male. And um, I came upon Nora Lang serving sort of in connection with um, with Borges. Um, she's she comes up, she gets mentioned as to having been part of her part of Borges's circle in Buenos Aires in 1920s Buenos Aires. And um, the first book I read was Notes from Childhood, and I thought I just thought, wow, this this is phenomenal. How come how come I haven't come across this before? She doesn't really get talked about. I've never seen her on a syllabus, and this. Mm-hmm is absolutely gorgeous writing and uh, she was actually the the writer and i would say that was the book that made, first made me want to translate prose um so i um, you know i started asking around and my my supervisor at the time said oh yeah she's just been completely forgotten um, which isn't quite true but um I, but you know she just wasn't receiving the attention she the kind of attention she deserves so um i, I tracked down her complete works when i was on a trip to buenos aires and I read, I then read people in the room, and was really captivated by it. Mm-hmm. And you know, over the years, I started sort of ch- chipping away at the translation of that book, and I um, submitted a proposal to end other stories. And uh, um, and uh, luckily for all of us, they they accepted. <laughs> <laughs> that was how the um, luckily for me, luckily for you know Nora's work and you know all the rest. Um, so that was how the the project came about and as of you said you know, you know the beginning you know there's there's there are several books you know I think you know um more, more than one w- uh, would be worth translating and publishing in English so it's sort of an ongoing project.
1: I mean I read out of I think it's fair to say out of kind of like the group of us I mean there's there's five of us in that kind of have come together for this podcast I think I'm the one that reads the most kind of um translated um kind of like literature if you like. Mm. Um and I find the whole translation process absolutely fascinating. But it must be really challenging what to translate a text when an author is no longer around or no longer with us. So how's kind of that differed from kind of um potentially translating a work whose author um is kind of like present and you're able to say, you know, kind of have I translated that correctly?
6: Does that come across okay? Is yeah. you know um, you, you're right. You're you're completely right. It is a very different experience, um, and you know not not only is Nora, Nora Lang not around, but her prose is uh, quite challenging and experimental. Mm-hmm. Uh, and out of all the out of all the authors I've translated, I think I would consider her to be the most difficult. Um, so, and and there were plenty of moments where I just really wished I could somehow Mm -hmm. channel (laughs) her from beyond the grain (laughs) and actually, there is a scene in People in the Room, which has some uh, really Gothic overtones, where um, the sisters who um, are observed from across the street by the narrator are um, discussing the practice of table tapping where um, you will knock on—it's a sort of um, a spiritualist, you know, occultist practice where you will not knock, knock on the table, and the dead will sort of and to, to summon the dead, and they will communicate back to you by knocking on the table. And I just thought, oh my god, you know, if I could just summon <laughs> the-, <laughs> on the table, I would say, okay, just is this sentence is sounding right to you? One tap, yes. Two taps, no.
5: <laughs> Did she ever reply?
6: Yeah. No, I didn't. I did not get a satisfactory answer. <laughs> but um, and 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 this reminds me too that um, uh, Katrina Dodson, the uh, translator of the the complete stories of uh, Clarice Lispector, which were published by New Directions uh, just a handful of years ago, also said at some point that she actually went to see a clairvoyant. Wow! in uh, either in Rio or in Sao Paulo or somewhere in Brazil to see if she could kind of make contact with Clarice and sort of get a sense of whether she was on the right track. So, <laughs> I mean, all of this is to say that, yeah, I mean, it, it's enough, it can be enough to, you know, drive you to, um, you know, sort of extreme behavior. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it's really challenging. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's sort of, sort of like a combination of a, just, between a treasure hunt and a, yeah, some kind of spiritualist channeling activity, you know.
1: It's a beautiful way of putting it, though. It's a very, very nice way of putting it.
6: Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, it's, um, it's a very different experience to, you know, being able to just shoot the author a quick WhatsApp message and say, yeah. you know, hey, what does this mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which also, you know, it can be, can be great. You know, it's It's really nice to develop a re- relationship with an author who's work here. Yeah. Yeah, you have in your, in, in your care.
3: Yeah. Well, thank you. That's fascinating. Um, I have a question for both of you, actually. When you read for pleasure, would you normally read in English or Spanish or Norwegian or Swedish? <laughs> mm,
5: so I read... I read quite widely, like, I mean, I, I read in English um, because I'm interested in reading like contemporary literature that, you know, I like I read a lot of, you know, UK writers and US writers and writers translated from other languages, but I do prefer to read Swedish and Norwegian and Danish writers in the original language just because Um, because I want to I want to read them for themselves and not read them second-guessing the translator like I find because I find that when I read those languages that I know um, I can see you know if I read them in, in English translation I can see the the other language behind or like I'm trying to figure out like what was what did that say in the original language which is kind of dreadful that I that I can't just like take you know translators are always saying you know the the translated text is a text in its own right and it and it has its own life you know aside from from the original mm. but like I find my <laughs> I just find myself <laughs> reading it thinking oh that's oh that's a bit of a you know oh oh, I think I would have done that differently or you know like so um so partly because of that and partly because uh I just love reading in Swedish and I love reading in Norwegian um Mm -hmm. because I love to like feel the language you know feel the language and like for my for my brain to like experience the language in that way so a mixture I'd say
3: Thank you. And Charlotte, the same
6: question to you. Yeah, I, I also read a, a, a mixture of English and Spanish, and I do, I I um, absolutely uh, understand what what you said, Nikki, about sort of second guessing the translation when you read mm. a translation from a language that you work with. Yeah. I do have that experience, um, but at the same time, I, I, I like to read translations from Spanish because I feel like I have. A lot to learn from my fellow translators and so yeah. I like, like the feeling I like the feeling of you know sort of admiration that I sometimes get wow yeah. I don't really like how you did yeah. that
5: <laughs> that's that's really true actually that is also wonderful to be able to kind of uh, like yeah wonder at your colleague's talent of like yeah like making it making it sound amazing um, right
6: yeah, and it's nice to I yeah I feel like I, I'm sort of I don't know there's a ca- kind of camaraderie as well in just in sort of being able to be familiar with other other translators work and yeah. What, yeah. Sort of, yeah, watching their you know seeing what their tricks are and so yeah on. um I'd say sometimes I go through I, um you know periods of reading in more Spanish sometimes you know more English mm. yeah um, mm.
5: Do you, Can I ask you, Charlotte actually, whether <laughs> you feel like when you read people's translations whether if you read different like translations of different writers by the same translator, do you ever feel like you can see the translator's style? Mm. sorry, sorry guys <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> so relieved, so
6: that's that's tricky i wouldn't say i wouldn't say i've had the experience of thinking oh this really reads like a this really reads mm-hmm. like a daniel Hahn translation or, right 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 this really reads like a, a Nicholas smalley translation yeah. <laughs> i haven't had i don't think i've had that experience but and i think that's probably how it how how it should be right yeah I mean, yeah um you know, maybe, you know, a a translator has similar ways of, similar strategies, Mm. but really, you know, the flavor of, you know, different writers in this, in the voice of the same translator should be, should be, should be different.
5: Really different. Absolutely. Mm. I think, I think I just always worry about like certain tics that I have and things like that, you know, just kind of going across from one translation to another,
6: Mm -hmm.
5: Anyway, anyway, <laughs> sorry.
6: <laughs> do you, um, yeah, into
5: like into geeky translated <laughs> chat. Yeah.
6: Do you, Nikki, tend to remember sort of if something similar comes up in a different translation that you've you know that you worked on? If you've sort of if it's come up for you before and do you sort of think back to what you did, or is it too too much sort of? Is it does it disappear into the mists of time once you? have
5: um, I the think I do actually. Um, I think. There are definitely certain phrases that, you know, phrases where there's no, like, there's no direct equivalent in English. So you have to kind of find a workaround. Mm. But also because I only translate one day, it takes Mm. me a very long time to get through a book, for instance. So Mm. I just just literally spent two years translating a single book.
6: Oh, wow.
5: um, Which was... that sounds great uh, yeah. it was great but by the end of the editing process I was like I could I could just never see this book again and that would be complete. okay but although now now I feel like I really want to read it again it was so fun so um uh, yeah we'll see what my editor says I haven't heard back from her yeah
1: <laughs> I not when you, when you just said that you can't read it read it again at yeah. kind of some point. Obviously, August is kind of Women in Translation Month. Yeah. Um, something which, you know, um, we're kind of um, championing at the Northern Connection. Um, so I was wondering, can we ask you both for kind of either one or two recommendations of a book for um, Women in Translation uh, Month?
5: Do you wanna go first, Charlotte?
6: Uh sure. Um I I would like to recommend um not a very recent translation, but one of my one of my favorite books, uh one that I turn to just to read for just absolute pleasure and sort of relaxation. Um and it's the Summer Book by Tove Jansen.
5: Oh my god, you've taken my
6: recommendation, <laughs> actually. <laughs>
5: It wasn't it it, it wasn't going to be the summer book, but it was going to be a Tove Janssen book.
6: Oh wow! Bring it, bring on all the Tove um, I, I, um So the summer book uh, describes a summer spent on an island in the Gulf of fin- Finland, um, with uh, a, a grandmother and a granddaughter, and they have uh, a really beautiful relationship where they just sort of rove over the island and discuss the meaning of life um, in this very sort of low-key um, way that somehow seems to encompass just all of the important questions. Mm. Um, and it's it's delightful, it's, it's beautiful, it's funny, and it's also really profound, I think. It's just an absolutely beautiful book. It's a classic, and that, you know, it's one that I find you can just reread over and over.
5: It, oh, thank you. I like absolutely would agree. It's a really wonderful book. It was actually possibly the first adult's book that I read in in, in Swedish. Oh, lovely! Because she's like she's most famous for her Moomin books as yeah. like, a children's writer,
6: oh. but which I loved as a kid. The, yeah,
5: amazing, really, absolutely. really amazing books. My my Tove Jansson book um, is uh, is a collection of short stories called Fair Play which is about two women who were, well, it's about two women who are friends, but there's more to their relationship than just friendship. And they live in two apartments that are joined by a corridor. So they, I think it's like they had, they were in like, Two different houses, but you could get from one house to the other by by going by the attic or something like that. I don't I don't remember exactly, but it's just amazing. Like that same kind of profundity that you mentioned. Like, mm. you know, it's just about their like stupid bickering and their like the way that they the way that they live together and yet apart, and their like their amazing connections as humans, but also like the the frustrations that they felt with each other and and that just all of you know if you've ever lived with anybody like whether it's like a partner or a flatmate or whatever you know somebody that who you really like Mm. um but like all of the the tension of like sharing sharing your life with somebody Mm -hmm. um she really gets it and it's just so funny as well like this really wonderful humor she's She's great. I'd like absolutely recommend anybody to go out and like seek out Tova's, um, Tova's writings in general.
6: Completely agreed. Seconded. Uh, she's got such an incredible gift for describing the subtleties of, of relationships. Yeah,
5: yeah. Um, my other, I I had one other recommendation, which is a more recent one, um, which is also an And the Stories book. So I'm cheating a little bit um but it's a book called Tentacle by a writer from Dominican Republic called Rita Indiana and it's absolutely nuts like absolutely amazing I can't remember how I like I, I mean it was we published it in 2018 so it's like a while ago since I've like had my pitch for it you know I used to have like a really great pitch but it's basically like queer time travel with like, uh, like art, like I've got, I can't even remember. It's just so amazing. <laughs> there's like contemporary art in there. There's music. There's like, uh, like colonialism and like race, like like you know discussions of racism and like this kind of whole like gender, like like gender transition via a sea urchin and like i mean it's just that's
1: it is,
6: wild yeah,
1: yeah it is wild is um, i um, i think a, an author called um dominic nolan recommended oh, yeah. um, i think it was about a year and a half ago yeah. i kind of really like put out saying i i i think it was after i'd finished reading um hurricane season oh yes um, i was like i need to tell me, tell me some other authors i need to kind mm. of Read this and he said read tentacle he said yeah. honestly it's fantastic yeah and um, and he actually was um recently when i'd finished reading um i'd finished reading dead girls mm. um published by Charker, yeah. um, Press, and i'd put out um another little plea saying can you please recommend me some more mm. um kind of um translated fiction from yeah. Um, and he he actually recommended um, Nora to me, so ah, I have I have a copy of People in in the room on on my pile as kind of like next to Rita.
6: Yeah, and Yeah. So um, I, you know, Rita Indiana is also a musician. Yes. And she's going to be playing. She's going to be playing in Brooklyn in a couple of weeks. So Are who, you going?
5: Are you going?
6: I think I will have to go. Yeah. Oh my definitely. god. Oh
5: wow. <laughs> She is so amazing. She's like
6: so multifaceted.
5: She's like six foot two. She is the most amazing dancer. She looks incredible. Uh and she's like like just has this aura. Uh and her music is so cool. Oh, I I yeah, she's great. <laughs> yeah.
1: Have to have to uh, create a fan club.
5: Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I'm basically like a one woman Indiana <laughs> fan club over here. I'm happy right. to join. I mean, I'm 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 on board with the
1: uh, fan club.
5: Good. Okay. Okay. Cool. So we've got so we've got two of us so far signed up. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh. oh, thank you both so much for joining us on the Northern Connection podcast. This has it's been absolutely fascinating to listen to you speaking.
6: Well, thank you very much for the invitation.
5: It was, yeah. It was Thanks so much for having us. It's lovely talking to you. Well,
0: that's it for episode two. You'll find a list of all the books that we've talked about in the show notes. Next month, we'll be focusing on crime and thrillers. In the meantime, make sure you're following us on Twitter, at northernconpod and on instagram at the northern connection we'll keep you updated there on any giveaways and also on the special bonus episode which we are hoping to bring you very soon bye for now